Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here in these spaces this morning, and we pray, O Lord, that you would give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, the Word of God, to us. Father, we come from many different places here this morning, places of faith and doubt, places of success and sorrow. Meet us with good news in Jesus, who welcomes anybody and everybody on the basis of his work on the cross for us. Be glorified now through this ancient practice of the reading and preaching of your Word, we pray. Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. You can be seated. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was recently in Atlanta, beautiful suburban Atlanta. And, well, maybe it is beautiful. We were just at the airport Holiday Inn. Who knows about about the rest? But what I was doing there is a little bit like 
the name High School Musical, the musical, the series in this way. So I was doing church planter coaching, coaching certification. As in, I was getting coached on how to coach church planters, which I'm beginning to do a lot more of here in the Liberty Communion of Churches. So I got started. There's a couple more things I need to do, but I'm telling you this right now. You are looking at somebody that very soon to now is going to be certified to help other church planters. And I can't wait for those church planting conversations when I'll be making a suggestion. But as I do, I'm going to be sliding the badge across the table and say, by the way, I'm, I'm certified now. So you'll, you'll, you'll really have to listen to, to what I say now. But it's something that I really, really do believe in. It's very important for church planters to have support because church planting, starting churches, where there were no churches, is very hard. And I would like to relate to you now a crucial church planting coach conversation that I received from Steve Huber, the director of the Liberty Communion of Churches. It went kind of like this. Many years, but only two blocks away from here at Osaka. It's a sushi place right here on Haddon Avenue. You might not know this about Steve Huber. I didn't ask if it was okay for me to say this. I assume it is. He really, really likes sushi. His wife, Christine, really, really does not like sushi. So Steve knows that I like sushi. And whenever Steve and I grab lunch, you can set a clock to it. Hey, Jim, let's go do lunch. What do you want to do? And it's like, oh, I could do this. I could do that. Steve, uh, what do you think? And he said, hey, let's just do sushi. And I love sushi, but I get tired of it with him. It's so often. Like, Steve, there are other fish in the sea besides just sushi. However, this is how the conversation went. Very early days of Liberty Church Collingswood. Some of you were there for it. And we were kind of up and down, as church plants starts often are in the very, very early days. And Steve caught me on a down week. I said, Steve, it's just not going very well at all. I am living and dying week to week to week. And I told him specifically about the latest Sunday. This went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong. And... There weren't very many people there. It, I think it was literally true one Sunday in our very early days where more people arrived early for church for various setup roles than actually arrived at the start of the church service to, to come. So that's just how it is, and it's okay. So I said, Steve, things not really going that well. And this is what he told me, and it's advice that I remember to this day for myself and for other people. He said, Jim, how about this? Stop hitting refresh so much. And I thought I knew what he meant by that, but I'm not sure I wanted to hear it, so I asked him to clarify. What do you mean, stop hitting refresh? And he said, well, it's kind of like this. Say you really want a job or a raise, and you interview, and you're told, okay, just watch your inbox, and we'll, we'll email you if you get the job or get the raise. But then you're sitting there with your laptop or phone open, constantly refreshing the inbox. Did the email come? Did the email come? Did the email come? Or if you're walking around somewhere, and you have like Google Maps pulled up on your phone constantly, you know where you're going, but every half a block, you get the phone out, refresh the map. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? And Steve's good advice to me was stop hitting refresh so much and stress out about where you are or where you're not on a given day or on a given week. Steve said, Jim, you know where you want to go. 
can relax. Don't just keep checking, keep checking, keep checking, keep checking. They said, Steve, you don't understand. Everything's going wrong right now. And he said, aha, that is why you need to stop hitting refresh over and over and over again. Relax. And more than that, Steve said, God knows what this church needs. God knows the way. God knows what's going to happen. So relax. Stop hitting refresh so much. And so I told Steve, fine, I'll do it. I won't hit refresh so much. Are you happy now? But then I said, Steve, it's even worse than that. I said, I'm under a lot of stress. And all of this stress, I'm not saying I should do this to justify it, but I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety and a lot of anger. And I'm acting out a little bit. I'm not being as faithful as I need to be right now. And I said, when I think about that, Steve, I don't think I deserve Liberty Collingswood to make it or to grow. And if it does make it, if it does grow, I'm going to feel really guilty about it. This is what Steve said back there. A rhetorical question. Jim, would you say that in a sermon? Would you preach something like that? Where if you mess up a lot, God's not going to bless you. You're never going to deserve anything from God ever again. And if you aren't 100% faithful, but God does give you blessing, you should feel very guilty about it. He knew and I knew. I said, of course, I would never preach a sermon like that. Why not? To turn the question to you. And if you've been at Liberty Collingswood a little while, I hope that you're able to recognize, wait a second, Jim, that's not grace, right? That's not grace. Steve said, relax. How about you? Maybe your life is messy. Maybe you are messing up your life. Things aren't quite going the way that you want. You're anxious, you're stressed, you're angry, and you're hitting refresh a lot. This is not the life I want right now. Things are going wrong with my money or my job or my fun or my romantic relationship, my family my health, my community. Things are going off the rails. Or, on the other hand, maybe you're hitting refresh because you're thinking, maybe you don't say this to other people in your heart of hearts. I'm surrounded by idiots. And I'm trying to do the right thing. And realistically, I'm, I'm doing it pretty well. But everybody around me, all of these bozos, they're not only messing up for themselves, they're messing up for me so that my margins for error are reduced to zero because I'm surrounded by all of this other people. I have got to keep it together because no one else will. It all depends on me. I've got to do good so I can get good. I've got to do as good as I can in my life because I need good things to happen to me or else they're not. So in our verses here this morning, from Genesis chapter 15, we see the living Lord, the God of all creation, 
engaging here with Abram, the patriarch, and he reaffirms, and we'll talk about what this means, his covenant with Abram. And by reaffirming the covenant, he reassures Abram, I'm still with you. I've got you. I ha- my plan is in place. My promises are still in place. Abram, you can relax. And to me, the striking thing about this ancient series of stories about Abram is that these promises actually relate to us as well. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, these promises are not just way back then for Abram, but as fulfilled in Jesus Christ, they're also for you. For example, in the very early preaching of the ancient church in the book of Acts, Peter says in one of his first sermons in Acts chapter 3, speaking to a crowd, saying, the time of fulfillment is at hand, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, Abram, and then your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter says, all of those ancient promises to Abraham, they're being fulfilled now for you. If we find ourselves in God's story. So let's talk in two parts from here, finding ourselves in God's story. Let's find ourselves in God's journey, and then also find ourselves in God's justification. We'll talk about what that means too. Find your story in God's journey, and we'll talk about covenant there, and then in justification, we'll talk about grace. So here we are in Genesis chapter 15, and we're back on the main track of where the story of Genesis is going. If you listen to the Post-Sunday Blues Preaching Postmortem podcast, if you're at Liberty Collingswood and you don't yet, I would encourage you to do it. Every time after sermon here, usually Model A is my wife Emily and I. Emily asked me about the sermon. Drops every Wednesday morning. The purpose of that is to keep the teaching and preaching ministry of our church front of mind for as long as possible throughout the week. No, no magic tricks there. That's what we're trying to do. But I said the Abraham cycle of stories in the podcast is kind of like there are some main episodes and then some side quests or some sidebars where really interesting things are happening, but it's not necessarily the main train track of where God is taking Abram. With Genesis chapter 15, we are back on the main track because God is confirming his covenant with Abram. It started a couple chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abram. Abram, go therefore from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And to your offspring, I will give this land. And here, the covenant is reaffirmed once again. And we defined covenant last time in Genesis chapter 12. I'll I'll tell you again, this this is what I said. What, What is covenant? Big Christian theological word. It means the structure, by, the structure of the promises by which God redeems his people. The structure of the promises by which God redeems his people. And if you remember the image that we used, the Russian nesting doll. Picture a Russian nesting doll when it's like little doll, bigger doll, bigger doll, bigger doll, all on top of each other. And I said that illustrates how God's covenant that he made with Abram carrying forward all the way to Jesus, they're keeping layers being laid on and laid on and laid on and laid on. But it's all one plan. It's all one covenant. It's all one structure. And so here in Genesis chapter 15, we get a couple more layers 
put on to the covenant promises that God is making to Abram. And really, scholars will say this is the most important, arguably, chapter, story, in all of the Abraham cycle. Klaus Westermann, famous German Old Testament scholar from the 20th century, said this. Genesis 15, this chapter, not only stands at the center of the external structure of the Abraham narratives, but is also regarded in the history of interpretation right down to the present as the very heart of the Abraham story. So this is the center. And it's kind of interesting to me that as we encounter Abram at the beginning of this chapter, it kind of seems like you could say Abram keeps hitting refresh over and over and over again. Beginning of the story. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God says, Abram, I've got you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be great. But then Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God has said, Abram, your line's going to go a long time, but then Abram is sitting here saying, I don't see it. I don't have an heir. And the only one I got is a far-off relative, a, a pseudo-heir, Eliezer of Damascus. He's kind of like saying, that's your brony? Is that the best we're going to do here? Like, if that happens, I'm basically not going to have any heir at all. Where Abram finds himself is that there is a misalignment between promise and and the present. Promise and present misalign. And that might be something, if you're here this morning as a committed follower of Jesus, still figuring things out, or maybe skeptical of such realities, let's agree that that's a common issue. The promise. Whatever set of expectations you might have. And hopefully they're good ones. When you look at your reality, ah, it's not there yet. So much stress, so much angst, so much anger, so much anxiety comes from that misalignment. I don't look the way I do. At age X, where I am now, I thought I'd be in a totally different place than where I am. This job, this bank account, this spouse or lack of one, this family, these health issues, this world that's crazy, is this what it is? We labor under such a gap. And yet, God is at work. We see here in the story of Abraham to say, relax, I've got you. And he reaffirms his covenant bit by bit by bit. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. A new metaphor for the covenant. Your offspring, and this is fulfilled in Jesus, we already had as numerous as the dust of the earth. Here, and I like this image even better, look up at the stars. Innumerable. So shall your family be. And thus begins what scholars consider here a covenant renewal or reaffirmation ceremony. It starts as typical in the ancient Near East with a little bit of history and some naming. Verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. 
Covenant renewal starts with the naming of who's doing the renewing and a little bit of history. Also happens at the beginning of the Ten Commandments that we find in the book of Exodus. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, right? And then Abram's told, go get some animals, make some sacrifices, and the covenant renewal itself occurs in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, symbolizing the presence of God, passed between these pieces. We'll come back to this. But the parties of the covenant walk through the sacrifices. Like I said, we'll get back to that. But then God simply fills in the picture after that renewal. Abram goes into a deep sleep. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land foretelling the exodus in Egypt, but they're not going to stay there. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then he continues, verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, all of this land, all of this people. God says, Abram, to you and your family, I am giving to you a secure future. And like I mentioned earlier, if you're a follower of Jesus, the same set of promises is for you. I mentioned Peter in an early sermon in the book of Acts earlier. The Apostle Paul, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, says this to the church in Galatia. Simple. Telling the church, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. The same promise all along. God's people, his presence, and his place forever. God's people with his presence in his place forever. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ, which is the new heavens and new earth, when Jesus comes back finally and makes all of the sad things untrue, wipes away every tear from every eye, and renews all of creation. That's what's going to happen. Find yourself in this journey of God. And think of it this way. Typically for us as people here in the late modern West, how do we know or how do we define what our journey is and who we are? Typically we'll do it a couple of different ways. If you're a traditionally minded person, you define your journey, what life is about, where you're going, who you are, based on your past and your community. Based on your past, where you come from, who are your people. Or if you're more of a modern-minded person, you say, I don't want to be defined and especially overdefined by where I come from or a community around me. I want to define myself by my present, how I feel right now, and individually. It's just me. I'm going to define all of those things in the present right now. Accessing the Christian story by faith, defining your journey in yourself, is actually neither of those ways. You define yourself, or rather you are defined by God, given an identity, neither by your past, nor by your present, but by your future. And that has always been mind-blowing to me. The grace of Jesus Christ is unique, and then also, I don't know anything else that says you are defined in your journey, not by where you've been, not by where you are, but where you're going. And I get it. That's really, really hard. I was looking at some statistics recently. 
that said 75% of Americans, all-time high as long as these statistics were being taken, 75% of Americans are pessimistic about the future. And when I saw that statistic, I thought, that seems low. It sort of fits into the old joke. 75% of Americans are pessimistic about the future, and the other 25% are lying about it, right? Hey, people on the right side of the aisle and the left side of the aisle, we can agree that we're pessimistic about the future, right? So defining ourselves by God's future does take a stretch of faith, and we need God's Holy Spirit for that. But if that's some quantitative statistics, qualitatively, a book recently has been called, or is called, The Lost Children Archive, and I was reading a review article about it that talked about the tenuous nature of the future for us right now. Perhaps it's just that we sense an absence of future because the present has become too overwhelming, so the future has become unimaginable. And without future, time feels like only an accumulation, an accumulation of months, days, natural disasters, television series, ter terrorist attacks, divorces, migrations, birthdays, photographs, sunrises. That's all it is. But because Jesus Christ is crucified and resurrected, we have a window into a different future. The Apostle Paul once again says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. This is the letter to the Philippian church, chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And that changes everything. Because it relativizes, it doesn't blinker out or cancel your past or your present, those things are very, very important, of course. But the future is where it's at, because that's where you're going. And it's as sure as Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. So where are you hitting refresh? Is it a relationship? Is it a health situation? Is it a bank account? Is it news headlines? Is it national politics? Global stuff? Whatever it is. Whatever is getting your goat, stressing you out, making you angsty, giving you anxiety, bring those things into the light of God's future. I am relationally unfulfilled right now. But my citizenship is in heaven, and I await a savior from there. A new heavens and new earth is coming. I am so tired of financial stress. But my citizenship is in heaven, and I await a savior from there. My life feels so unstable. I and those around me are barely keeping it together. But my citizenship is in heaven, and I await a savior from there. I look at my kids, and I'm nervous for their future. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we await a savior from there. Be as specific as you can possibly be. This is faith wrestling. This is something our home meetings just launched that you can ask for prayer about in our small groups or in the community of faith, the family of the church that God has given to us. Whatever it is, bring those specific refresh points and say, I need to connect this to something bigger, namely God's future for me. That's why we preach from all of these stories. It's not just stuff in the past. 
a year or two ago, we went through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament for our Advent series. We're going to do something different this year, I think. But there is a Bible scholar that said this about why we tell ourselves over and over again all of these old stories. Catherine Sankenfeld is her name. The Bible story offers to its readers a memory of the future, a vision of future hope couched in the form of a story from the past. Love the phrase. Why do we read all of these stories? To give us a memory of the future and stay there and relax. So find yourself in God's journey. And then that was part one. Part two at less length, we'll talk about finding ourselves in God's justification, namely this. The covenant ceremony that occurs in verse 17 of Genesis 15, it's a little bit unusual. Well, for one, the presence of God is there. That doesn't happen in every covenant renewal ceremony. And this is a detail that you pretty much can't get just from reading the verses themselves. But commentators are unified in saying the historical background for a chapter like this is crucial for truly understanding what's happening. Because normally, covenant renewal, sacrifices are made, they're separated on either side. It's both parties, where bilaterally, both parties of the covenant agreement walk through as an invocation of bilateral curse, where either side, if one or the other breaks terms of the covenant, then they're the ones that are going to have to pay. That's just how it is. But striking by the opposite here in Genesis chapter 15, where there are not two parties walking through the pieces. Abraham's been put by God into a deep sleep, and it's only God that walks through. Only God that walks through so that he and he alone invokes curses upon himself if the covenant is not maintained. Where the superior says, I will take the sanctions on myself. So if normally covenant renewal is bilateral, Here it is unilateral all the way through. And that means grace. Abraham is going to sin, is going to break covenant. He's done it before. He's going to do it again this coming week. We're going to see in the next story in Genesis. But God says, I'll take the hit for that. I'll suffer the consequences. And that leads us to grace. Fulfilled in Jesus, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross for all time. For all time. Abraham believed, it says in Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram didn't perform his way up or earn it or deserve it. He just believed the promises. God, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it. And that is a model for our justification. That's another theology word that means if you're in Jesus Christ, God doesn't see your mess. God doesn't see your sin and hold you accountable for it because Jesus has been held accountable in your stead. So you can be counted, considered, even though we still sin and mess up all the time, as completely righteous all the time. Last Sunday, we sang the song, Jesus Paid It All. Do you know what we don't sing here at Liberty Collingswood? We don't sing, Jesus Paid A Lot. Right? He paid it all. And in fact, this story is pulled forward to talk about how good grace is through the prism of Abram. 
the Apostle Paul one more time in Romans 4. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is one of the most quoted verses in all of the New Testament. And hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the word it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised, the dead, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's never about your performance. Abram isn't even saved here based on the quality meter of his faith. It's not the quality of the faith, but the quality of the object of the faith, namely Jesus. And here is why grace is so hard to get, even if you've been following Jesus a long time. We're wired to think these two things, either... If I mess up a lot, I don't deserve good things to happen to me. Or, if I don't do everything right, bad things are going to happen to me. Neither one of those is grace. Neither one of those is grace. And I think you know, conservative, progressive, north, south, east, and west, we are wired to think, I've got to do good so I can get good. And we might define different ones of us doing good slightly different ways, even more than slightly. But I've got to do good so I can get good. Should we do good? Yes. Should we hope to receive good in our lives? Yes. But what grace does is sever the tethering between those two things. There is no more a causal relationship, do good, get good, because Jesus has done good on our behalf. And if you're not living in grace, whatever foundation for yourself, for your life, for your own identity, it is going to be inherently unstable and insecure because you've got to do all of it all the time. You've got to generate all of it. You've got to build your meaning and your purpose and your goodness from the, way, from the ground up all the time, every day. I, I, I lament the weight, especially for our young people, where it's you've got to define absolutely everything about you when you're 11, when you're 9, when you're 15. Just be a kid. But whether you're 15 or 50 or 100, the identity that you are able to receive in Jesus by faith, and I encourage you to take or retake those steps, it's a durable identity. It's one that you can't mess up and mess away because it's given and it's only ours to receive. How might that change you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. 
live, speak, and serve at you later.